Hi, this is PC Herring, author of Cybrosis, a codename Cyrus Conspiracy, and the forthcoming podcast novel Slipspace Harbinger. And you are listening to the Melting Podcast. You're listening to the Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Grab your bibs and forks, everyone. You've just entered the Disaster Kitchen. Disaster Kitchen, not Messy Kitchen. I would expect our patrons to eat a little more neatly. We are not savages. It's not. It's a just, Disaster Kitchen, but we're the disaster, not them. It's not just our patrons here, though. Oh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Where's the bib? Here you go. Shuffle, 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 putting on bib. This is an audio podcast, okay? They can't see me doing it, Aaron. I also can't see the look I'm giving you right now. Welcome to episode 90 of the Melting Podcast. I forgot they were here. We've, we've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I know. I 90. suck at this job. So 90. Yet you're still in charge. That's just because nobody else wants to do the stuff you do. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm your head chef, AF Grappin. For now. Who the hell what? are you? You don't know that by now? This is episode 90, dude. There may be a new listener half paying attention to this that we've, they downloaded randomly. We've already scared them off by now. I hope not. I'm Erin Kazmark, your grill mistress. That's all. Have a good day. <laughs> um, no. Don't have a good day. So should... Until after you listen to the rest of this. Oh, I get it. Are we going to cook up a meal for them? I'm going to heat up some leftovers, maybe. No, we've got a brand new main ingredient story. Well, it's leftovers for me. I've already heard it. <laughs> this isn't about that. It's this, not about me. It's about No, it's about them. They haven't heard this yet. This is one of the biggest main ingredient stories we've had in a while. Possibly ever. Like, we got a lot of extra voice actors for this it's one. big. Yeah, seriously. We've got, like, a bunch big of voice actors. Voice. Yeah. So this main ingredient story, we have, like I said, a lot of extra voice actors. I will list them all after the story, which means I'm going to have to remember them all, which is great. And uh, yeah, just enjoy this rather large appropriate for the current political climate story. Bon appetit. Father by James Silverstein The warm glow of sunlight filtered through the slight haze in the kitchen, casting everything in a golden shade as the sun set. The haze was provided, of course, by Father's pipe tobacco. He'd taken a generous pinch of statecraft brand tobacco and a long draw before releasing the puff of smoke. The long draw was reserved for when he was concerned about the often misguided antics of his children. He was never too concerned, of course. He did, after all, know best. But this time, Dottie was sitting at the <laughs> kitchen table, crying her eyes out. Her dilemma required an extra long draw before Father sat and patted his dark-haired child's hand gently. Now, now. It was just a phase, and it's over now. Everything will be okay. 
Dottie looked up lovingly, but the tears still flowed, running her mascara all down her face. It was awful, Papa. Simply awful. But you know that now, and it's all in the past. Dottie looked hopeful. <laughs> really? Father smiled slightly, leaning back and removing his hand from hers. Sure. You went through a phase. Kids do stupid things and they get past it. That's part of being a kid. A slight worry crossed Dottie's brow. Father's words were getting through, but they weren't quite there yet. It really was awful, Papa. I don't know what made me... She drew a deep, shuddering breath and looked as if she would burst into tears again. I don't know what made me... kiss a girl. It sounds to me... Father pontificated. As if it was Janie who started all this. Dottie nodded. She... she said she loved me. Father waved it off. Nonsense. I'll have a talk with Janie's parents and make sure she's not confusing other girls, too. You will? Dottie looked starry-eyed, as if Father had performed some act of magic just for her. Of course I will, kitten, and I'll tell you what. Father put his pipe down and looked over his shoulder at the kitchen door. Will, I know you've been eavesdropping. Come on in. There was a moment's pause before the door swung open, revealing Father's third child, the semi-handsome blonde Wilbur, looking properly sheepish for getting caught. Yeah, Dad? He said cautiously, taking two steps into the brightly lit kitchen. You heard what's going on, I take it? Wilbur looked at the ground. Dottie kissed some girl, and maybe worse. Was no worse... Dottie shot back, almost panicked. Father raised a hand. There, there. It was just a silly phase. Will, you're good friends with Hank Smith, right? Wilbur nodded, his expression still unsure. He's on the basketball team, yeah. Father smiled and gave Dottie a wink. Think you could fix Dottie up with him? Wilbur suddenly looked much more sure and smiled broadly. Sure. I bet I could get him to ask her to the dance. His gaze shifted to Dottie. If you're more into kissing boys, that is. And maybe worse. Dottie grinned, then blushed a little. Father laughed. <laughs> there you go. Now get this silliness about Janie out of your head. Everything will be just fine. You really think so? Dottie sounded more confident than she ever had before. Well, your father thinks so. Wilbur grinned. And father knows best. Somewhere in the distance, a buzzer sounded, accompanied by the sliding of a metal door. The light in the room dimmed slightly, and Dottie stood, wrapping her arms around father's neck and kissing him passionately. Wilbur watched as the kiss ended and Father smacked Dottie's behind playfully, eliciting a giggle from the younger woman. Oh, stop. Wilbur groaned as Father walked off. Not in front of the other talent. Dottie looked back at Wilbur, bemused. There's other talent around here? 
Excuse me? Both Wilbur and Dottie turned slightly to see a short, mousy-looking young woman shuffling quickly toward them with small stacks of stapled papers. Script for the next episode. Wilbur gave the girl a nod. Lana. <sighs> Lara. The girl said quietly, handing over the scripts. Whatever. Dottie smirked. All I'm saying, Will, is that you need to smooch someone too. Lana. Laura. Whatever. She turned and spoke with a condescending air to the script girl. You okay with Wilbur giving you a smooch? Wilbur looked sidelong and saw the girl's eyes go wide, like an animal realizing it was in the hunter's sights, unsure what to do to survive. I... 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 It's okay. Wilbur gestured, thumbing absently through the script. Don't worry about it. Just as the script girl began to relax, however, he added, Damn it! Causing her to jump just a little. What's wrong now? Dottie smirked. Hank's enlisting! Dottie dove through the script quickly. I get a soldier? You get a soldier. Wilbur sat down at the kitchen table, growling bitterly. Congratulations. Yes! Dottie practically yelled. You know father got his soldier just before he got, he got all, all his sponsorships, yes. <sighs> Wilbur sighed. He's told us about 70 times this week. Don't be so sour. I wasn't telling you. I was telling Linda here. <sighs> Laura. Dottie looked to Laura, who backed off a step. The actress gave her most charming smile. Laura, what is it you do after you come here? Again, dear, headlights. I... I go to the other sound stages. I mean after that. Dottie purred. I... go home? Dottie shot the girl an unbelieving look. You don't live here? Well, <laughs> only the talent does. Laura said quietly, her cheeks flushing. I don't live very far, though. That's horrifying! Dottie's eyes widened. You go... out there? Out where the drug dealers and pimps and rapists are? Laura could only blush further. It's not actually like that. Dottie ignored the protestations. You poor soul. You're so brave. Isn't she brave, Wilbur? Huh? Wilbur looked up from his script. Oh, yeah. Very brave, Laura. Laura blushed even more hotly, and Dottie's grin widened almost to that of a predator. So, how does Will find you later? Will shot Dottie a look that Laura either didn't see or didn't want to see. Um, the code for the hallways is 82647, if you want, I mean. We still have another episode or two to film. Dottie laughed. <laughs> He'll find you later. Laura said nothing but turned beet red and scurried off. After she'd vanished from the kitchen, Wilbur glared at Dottie. Why'd you do that? Dottie shrugged innocently. You have to smooch someone. You're not getting a soldier. 
A smooch would do you some good, I think. I mean, unless you'd rather smooch a boy. Don't even say that. Wilbur looked around. Or something worse. Dottie teased. You want to end my career? Wilbur hissed. Oh, please. No one's listening right now. They don't monitor us. You know that. Only one around here is dear old dad. Dottie and Wilbur craned their necks to see Father, sitting in his chair off stage, sipping from a steaming cup and reading his script. Wilbur sighed. Uh, they say it's real coffee. Boris Splend. Dottie nodded, her eyes hypnotically drawn to the cup. Coffee and tobacco for Dad. I hear he even gets chocolate sometimes. You ever have chocolate, Will? Will nodded absently. Three years ago, the Christmas party. Right after Father got the Freedom Bar endorsement. Freedom Bar. Dottie sighed dreamily. <sighs> Think he'll let me share his chocolate after some time in the dressing room? Will made a gurgling noise. <sighs> Again with that. Stop it. Dottie turned once again to face him. Look, Will, you want to get to the top. I want to get to the top. We both want the endorsement, and since you're a boy and I'm a girl, I don't think we're in each other's way. So I'm going to do this the old-fashioned way. If you want to try to do the same, and you're not getting a soldier to latch onto in the script, you need to find someone to climb on. Her teasing grin reappeared. Maybe Linda. Laura. Will grumbled. No thanks. If I wanted to be poor, I'd spend, I'd spend time, time with, with poor, poor people. people. Dottie finished his sentence along with him, quoting one of the well-taught lessons of a previous episode. Suit yourself. She continued. But I'm just trying to be helpful here. Yeah, yeah. Go be helpful to father. Dottie frowned. You know what? I think I will. Good luck with getting sponsors, Will. Hey, don't be like that. Will looked up, but Dottie had already left, stalking like a jungle cat towards Father. <sighs> will sighed and looked back down at the script. There was a small mark of pride there. Father was the only show in the studios in which every cast member knew how to read. Other actors in other shows had their lines fed to them by earpiece. Will smiled grimly and began to turn pages. What's the matter, sport? You look frustrated. Will looked up to see Father coming out of his dressing room, not a hair out of place, his suit pressed like a razor. Will nodded towards the script. Looks like I have to put on church clothes. You know I hate them. Now, now. It's a way to show appreciation. When you live in a nation that's as blessed as we are, you want to show your thanks to God, don't you? The explosion started before Will could answer. Father tumbled to the floor as Will stood, the cacophony of machinery crashing and shattering to the ground as blasts of gunfire exploded all around. He panicked. Father reached up for him, a pleading word on his lips. But before Will could reach, another gunshot rang out and Father's chest welled with blood. More gunshots, another explosion. Will couldn't even see what was going on. 
but he heard people screaming and running in every direction. For a moment, the young man froze, terrified. Over here! I think there's someone over here! The voice wasn't familiar at all, and sounded touched with an accent Will couldn't place. Immediately, he ducked behind a fallen bit of lighting and tried to hold his breath as best he could. His heroes would have helped Father. His heroes would have stood up and faced the danger. But his heroes weren't there that day. Will squeezed his eyes shut and prayed quietly for the danger to pass. A find one. The voice was right in front of him. Get up, white boy. Will's eyes opened cautiously. Just in front of him was a very effeminate-looking, dark-skinned young man carrying an assault rifle. His clothes were ragged and torn, and he looked skinny to the point of being almost emaciated. Get. Up. He growled once again. Will shuffled to his feet and raised his hands. I'm not any danger. We know that. The armed man said. Behind him, from around various broken pieces of machinery, more figures emerged, each with a similar emaciated frame, each in some hue of dark skin, each with ragged clothing and weaponry of some sort, from shotguns to pistols. What's your name, boy? The final member of the attacking crew came into view. He was much larger than the others. The lack of food certainly hadn't touched him at all. He looked strong, but as he approached, Will saw an unhealthy sheen to him. He was covered in greasy sweat, and his complexion was pockmarked with heavy acne and scars. Wilbur. Wilbur Stanton. Wilbur. The big man mocked. Where's the big man? Wilbur looked over his shoulder, past the fallen lighting. There, breathing shallowly, was Father, still bleeding heavily. I don't mean some flunky. I mean the big man, the leader snapped. His hand lashed out, backhanding Wilbur so hard he saw stars. Where is he? I I don't know who you mean, Will whimpered. Uh, Mick? One of the other armed men said. I think we got the wrong studio. Mick's acneed face twisted into a horrible grimace. Fuck me! His hand lashed out again, but this time it grabbed Will by the throat and picked him up off the ground. You know where Meet the Nation is? Will could only nod weakly, his breath coming in strawfuls through Mick's choking. Mick drew him close, his fetid breath directly in the young actor's face. We won't make it past security, Mick, one of the other gunners said nervously. We're out of bombs. Will felt Mick's powerful fingers digging into his throat. The air was almost gone, and things were going black. Panicked, he reached for the only thing he felt would save his life. I I know how to get through. Mick's grip didn't loosen, but it ceased to tighten. Talk! I know the security codes to the script always. Black spots began to dance before Will's eyes. Mick stared him in the face for another moment. You better not be fucking with us, kid. Mick dropped Will to the floor, and Will coughed and sputtered. His heroes would have died first. Father would have died rather than become a traitor. 
but Will's heroes weren't there, and Father was bleeding out on the floor. The hallways of the recording studios were dark and dusty, and one of the resistance fighters began coughing immediately, a sick, phlegmy sound that made Wilbur feel even more uncomfortable, if such a thing were possible. Keep moving! Wilbur felt the rifle prod his back. We need to get to meet the nation right quick. What's there? Wilbur asked meekly. Senator Good. Shut the hell up! Mick grunted. Boy doesn't need to know what's what. Ain't gonna live that long anyway. Wilbur tensed, but kept walking. What would Father do? He muttered under his breath, but nothing immediately came. He'll bleed out. One of the nearby terrorists <laughs> chuckled. But you don't gotta. There it was. The narrow string Wilbert might grasp to keep breathing. He verbally lunged. How? How do we do that? The one who'd spoken, a greasy, dark-skinned man, practically slithered up to Wilbur. You join us. You want to do that, right? How? The man put a sweat-slick hand on Wilbur's shoulder as they walked. You marry in. Wilbur flinched just a little and stumbled forward, bumping into Mick. You don't mean... It was Mick's turn to chuckle. <laughs> we take everyone, boy. No matter who they like to screw. But don't worry, we're not all gay. Yeah, Mick's got his eye on Vera. It brought little comfort, as Will tried his best to maintain distance from everyone in the group while still directing them forward. Vera? Mick grinned wolfishly. Senator Good's daughter. His eyes then narrowed. Don't look so sick about it. I'm not going to kill her. Just going to marry her into the group. You ever hear of Patty Hearst? Will racked his brain. She was on Guardians of Liberty, wasn't she? Mickey gave a sick <laughs> little laugh. Uh, maybe. Hell if I know. Just know she's going to be real pretty with a gun in her hand standing by my side. A little laughter rose up from the ranks, and Will turned even paler. He looked around. There were just too many of them to turn and run, and besides, the hallway was narrow, and there were no immediate doors. There was nowhere to go. Maybe he could turn and take down one, but he'd be dead immediately. All he could do was swallow heavily and continue leading the gang. And we know he's wrong. We all know he's wrong. I am not soft on crime. And everyone knows that. Byron Dunn was a heavily built, sweaty man. The cameras showed every drop of sweat on his face as he pontificated about the gray-haired man on the opposite podium. Senator Good, your response? Good took a puff of Statecraft brand tobacco and smiled, his perfect teeth showing just under the handlebar mustache that had become something of a trademark during his previous campaign. Look, I don't know what Mr. Dunn feels he's trying to prove here, but my family is behind me and my nation is in front of me, and I don't know which one I'm more proud of at any given time. I do know, however, which one needs me more. The cameras, for a moment, cut to a shapely young redhead sitting in the audience and ran the caption underneath her, Vera Good, Senator's Daughter. The change in perspective wasn't long, however, as the cameras flashed to a sweaty, outraged Dunn, who half-grumbled. 
What does that even mean? Well, if you don't know, Byron... The senator spread his arms magnanimously. Maybe the voting public will tell you. Dunn looked ready to reply when the service door to the studio was kicked in. Immediate gunfire followed as Mick shot his pistol into the air twice. All eyes and all cameras were immediately on him. All right, the hulking man said, tossing the meek-looking Wilbur to the side. Nobody moves, and nobody gets hurt. The audience, and those on the podium, froze completely, and Mick and his cadre stepped forward toward the podiums. Good's eyes narrowed in malice at the invaders. Who are you? What do you want? You moved that mustache of yours, Good. Mick nodded to one of his goons, who giggled like a hyena and casually leveled his assault rifle at the audience, peeling off a few rounds. The entire room exploded into chaos. Gunfire cracked as people ran for the exits, but were cut down in the process. Mick's goons howled in triumph and glee as Mick himself closed the distance towards Good. On the way, he stepped on top of Dunn, who cowered behind his own podium. This is for liberty! Mick grinned, but his look of triumph turned to one of shock as Senator Good swung hard, a calloused fist bashing the terrorist leader in the jaw, reeling him back. Unfortunately, the impact had largely been due to surprise. As Good stepped in again, Mick tossed his pistol away and grappled the older senator, roaring in rage like some horrid beast. After a moment of struggle, Mick had Good in a complex-looking wrestling hold. How you like this, Senator? I could break your neck in a moment. I'm not afraid to die for my country, you scum. Good spat. I'm sure you're not. You're a great man, Mick sneered. But you know how much your family needs you. Good's expression turned grim as one of Mick's men dragged Vera up to the stage by her hair. You let her go. You hurt her and I swear... Swear what, pig? The man with Vera in tow laughed. You're gonna bow down to Mick here. And maybe, just maybe, we won't kill Vera. Dad, no! Vera begged, then yelped as she was pulled alongside Mick. Ow! Mick laughed. <laughs> Don't worry, sweet thing. You're going to come with us, and in no time you'll see things our way. This is for liberty! One of Mick's goons raised his gun skyward and howled. Forward liberty! liberty! The others chanted in unison. No, this is for liberty! All eyes turned. Wilbur had found his feet and charged forward, slamming his body into one of the terrorists, who buckled to the floor. The swarthy-looking thug wrestled for a moment with Wilbur over the possession of his sidearm. Wilbur's fist came down once, twice, and then a third time, finally knocking the man unconscious. Don't do it, man. Another thug growled, pointing his gun at Wilbur, who had just touched the pistol lying on the ground. Don't you do it. Wilbur looked to good and then to Vera. He took a deep breath and shut his eyes. I'm ready to die for what I believe in. As the terrorist leveled his rifle, Wilbur grabbed the pistol and threw it at Good. For a moment, it was as if everything froze. The gun, however, did not make it to the senator's hands. It impacted against the head of the goon holding Vera and knocked him, and thus her, to the floor. Mick laughed. Ha 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 Nice try, hero. Now let's see if... 
Mick stopped mid-sentence and looked down at the ragged hole in his chest. Wait. What? Another shot fired. And another. Then Vera stood, pistol in hand, as the terrorist threatening Wilbur crumbled. With their leader down, the rest of the goons fell into chaos. Vera grinned and handed the pistol over to her father. Want to take care of this, Dad? <laughs> In the worst way. Good growled. His shooting did the rest of the talking for him. The cameras took a good long look at Good putting down the terrorists, and then panned to Vera, who had run to check on Wilbur. The ticker read, Vera Good, Private First Class, United States Army. A smattering of applause greeted Wilbur as he stepped back into the kitchen set of the recording studio. He grinned and took a slight bow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, kid. Father walked out of the nearby dressing rooms, taking off the gray wig and the fake handlebar mustache. You made me look good. Eh? Eh? The various other actors ruffled through some light laughter. <laughs> good one, chief another young man said, wiping off the dark makeup to reveal his pale good looks. You almost really clocked me, though, Will. Keep an eye on that right hook of yours. That was spectacular, Mick said, shedding his own fake scars and wiping the blood from his temples. I mean, I'm ready to die for what I believe in. That's catchphrase material right there. The former terrorist turned and looked at one of the screens. You got your soldier, and look at that! Good's got this election in the bag! How could he not? Wilbur grinned, absently taking the script offered to him by a quickly moving Laura. Dunn's so soft on crime. Is he, though? The laughter dropped to silence as all eyes turned to Dottie. She shrank slightly, but repeated her question. I mean, Dunn. Is he really soft on crime? Wilbur grinned and pointed a thumb over his shoulder at the nearest monitor. You just saw it on the screen, right? It's true. Dottie shrank a bit further. She looked about to speak again, but she was cut off by father. It's okay, Will. She doesn't know these things. She's just a girl. Again, laughter. Wilbur could see shame in Dottie's eyes, and her very, very slight flinch as father put a hand on her shoulder. Come on, the on-screen patriarch said to her. I'll explain it all to you in the dressing room. Dottie hung her head slightly and began to walk with father towards the door. As they passed Mick, he slapped her behind and grinned. Show her father knows best! Another round of laughter followed, and Dottie and father disappeared into father's room. After a few more rounds of backslapping and laughter for Wilbur's performance, Will made his goodbyes and walked off to his own dressing room. The door closed behind him, cutting off the noise from the studio, and he dropped casually into his chair, thumbing through the script in anticipation of having a night to remember with Vera Good, private first class. There was no disappointment there. Even the inspecting the privates joke father suggested a few days before was in there. With a happy sigh, ah. Wilbur put the script down and looked at the nearest monitor. There, they played Dunn's cringe behind his podium over and over again. The bottom scroll of the news read, Dunn for good. 
and the projected poll numbers for Good's opponent were dropping like a stone. Of course, Wilbur couldn't see it all. Pop-ups appeared left and right, each congratulating him. Each one was a sponsor proud of his patriotism and suggesting ways to tie into his heroism. Wilbur scanned through each, his grin growing wider and wider. Finally, he paused on one pitch and enlarged it. After a few minutes of staring, he clicked the accept button with great enthusiasm. Leaving the pitch up on the screen, he leaned back in his chair, picked up his script, and began fantasizing about just how good his Freedom TM was going to taste. So yeah, that was definitely a very heavy story, but I could not be happier with the vocal actors we got for this one. I'm a starlet. You're a starlet. So special thanks to our voice actors, David Went, Kalila Roche, Fox Magoo, Nobilis Reed, Doc Coleman, Keith Hughes, Austin Malone, Spence Spencer, Jelaine Hughes, and the author of the story himself, James Silverstein. Yay! I mean, I, I would clap, but it would, like, yeah. blow your eardrums yeah. out. So we, instead, I'll just, yay again! So many great voice actors, great supporters of the podcast. Great and then there was friends. you, me, and Theo. Yeah, the usual. Oh, I don't feel special. Yeah. Well, I've been doing this for five years. Shh, I need to feel special. You're special, Aaron. Thank you! Uh, you know what else is special? You, sweetheart. Oh, wait, I'm not your mom. No, you're not. And that's really a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have killed you a long time ago. And you're younger than me. Yeah, that would have been some serious talent there. Time travel. Woo! Whoa. Anyway, um, what I meant to say... That is, is that I'm too tall to be your mom anyway. About what's special. Because you're short. Is, you know, other people who promote stuff on the podcast, like the person who's doing this promotion right next to, you know, this... <sighs> It's special. Nineteen forty-seven, the legacy of Nazi occult projects shambles through the streets of Los Angeles. Ghouls and zombies gather in tiny ghettos where the stench of crime and corruption mingles with dead flesh. Genevieve Rose, the first ghoul movie star, walked out of the grave and onto the silver screen. Everyone wanted her. But someone wanted her back in the ground, six feet under. Her only protector was me, Ellison Mix, Private Eye. I got hired to stare unblinking into the white-hot spotlight of fame and riches while trying to keep Genevieve Rose from joining the pile of corpses gathering at our feet. The Case of the Scarlet Starlet is book two in the case files of the undead, written by James Silverstein and released by Skull and Vine Publishing soon on Amazon. When you get there, tell them Ellison Mix sent you. And be very, very careful who you trust. Hey, I, I got that joke. Good. What joke? The, 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 you were talking about a promo before the promo happened. About time. You're, uh, you're muttering nonsensically. You, you were talking about the promo. I, was, I get it. Yeah. Oh my. Oh, you're what?
So, listeners, that main ingredient story was rather extensive, but even the largest meal can end up a bit bland. Unless you have something to sprinkle on top of it to... Or mix in while cooking. Or mix in while cooking to, to, to build and develop the flavors. Like... Enhance. Yeah, like a little seasoning. I get it. I get this joke, too. Okay, good. Because I didn't want to... Because we're going to do that little seasoning segment. That's an interview with another creative and author, something like that. Good job, Erin. I'm so proud of me. Yeah. And it's also telling them what it is, especially if we still have that random new listener who's only half paying attention that we haven't scared off yet. Yeah, I know. I hope your commute's not done yet. Or that work is really, really boring. Yeah. And we're making it better. Now, what's fun about this little seasoning segment is it's actually with somebody who was a voice in the story we just listened to. Meta. Yeah. Now, it's not the author. It's not James. Aww. It is Keith Hughes. <gasps> Keith, hi! I was the one talking to him. I don't know if he can... But but I'm, I'm saying Keith, hi. if you're listening, if you're the random new listener, which I know you're not because you've been a fan of the podcast for a few years, but anyway, if you can hear Call us right adorable. now, Keith, you are. <laughs> Keith, if you can hear us right now, yell hi as loud as you can. We're listening all the time. It's not creepy or anything. I don't hear him. Well, you can just a minute when I start the segment. Oh, okay, cool. Hey there, Lexicon of Sewers and Word Chefs. We are here for another little seasoning with author Keith Hughes. You might recognize that name from, you know, stories we've had in the past, like our most recent uh, Balticon Live episode. And you've also heard his voice earlier in this episode uh, in the story Father. So, Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I'm very glad to have you. You've been a fan of the podcast for a few years now, and it's so great to finally get you, uh, you know, on the other side of the mic. Yeah, yeah. It's great to actually have my voice on as opposed to my words. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it, was, it was a really great story. So, um I, I suck at introductions. I mean, the one I gave was so very cliff notes. Why don't you tell us just a little bit extra about yourself since I don't know everything. Okay. Well, I am a uh, writer primarily. I also podcast. Um, so I've got a, a podcast that I release. I call it quasi daily because I don't do seven days a week, um, but I try to do six and it's called ramblings of an undisciplined mind. And that's, uh, typically done on my commute, uh, or I, I do have a, a studio in the house. Sometimes I'll do a studio episode this morning. I actually did a lot of my morning walk, uh, just because I'm working from home all week, uh, for work reasons. And, uh, so I just talk about whatever movies I watched, um, you know, stuff that happens that annoys me or whatever, just, you know, whatever comes to mind. Uh, to clarify, that is the, you know, today as in the day of the, us recording this interview. Yeah, sorry. Uh, this, this is, uh, no, you're, you're, you're totally good. I'm just making sure our listeners don't go, oh my God, he just did that today. And it's, you know, three weeks or like two and a half weeks from now. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because this is for our October 1st episode. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, Keith, I'm going to actually get us started with our one question for this year. Uh, I mean, you're a fan of the podcast. You probably know how this goes, but I'm still going to explain it for everyone else. Every year, uh, the crew and I pick one question, and every author that we interview, we ask that question to. And this year's question 
I want you to think of either your least favorite book or just the worst book you've ever read. You don't need to tell what it is if you don't want to. What has that book taught you about writing? Mm, okay. Um, I actually have an answer for that one. So that's cool. Um, it, unfortunately, I don't remember the title, but I do remember the author. So I was, I was going through a phase where I was reading through uh, science fiction books by a gentleman by the name of Charles Strauss. And there is this one book he wrote where the entire thing, the entire novel was in second person. So it was, you did this, and you punched the security guard, and you fell down with a bloody eye or a black eye. And it uh, it annoyed me to no end. And it, it because I, I kept getting dropped out of it. It was like, you know, I, I, I saw you fall down. It's like, I'm sitting in a chair. I'm reading the book. I'm not that old where I'm falling out of the chair. <laughs> it just kept breaking that fourth wall in the most annoying way possible. And that really, mm -hmm. I mean, I'd never thought of ever writing something in second person voice anyway, but it really kind of got me thinking more about what voice choices I am making in my fiction and, and being a little more, I guess, less intuitive, actually putting some thought into, do, do I think that this is a good first person? Um, work or or should it be you know like a third person omniscient which is probably what i do the most of um mm -hmm. so it's really made me be more mindful of of what i choose there because you know if you choose wrong that can that can have consequences so other just out of curiosity other than it being in second person did what well, I mean was the book any good other than that if it, if it had been like in a third person point yeah of view? i would have enjoyed it if it's i mean I've, i read the whole thing although nowadays if i pick up a book i'll crack it open and if i see a lot of, mm -hmm. of views all over the place and you doing this and you doing this and it's not in a dialogue tag i just walk i just <laughs> walk away but that book i did i did finish and read and, and i enjoyed it but i just kind of that that yeah, it's kind of like getting that 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 sharp poke in the same spot over and over and over and over again. The mm -hmm. more you get it, the more annoying it, it was. No, I'm I'm right with you on that. Probably the uh, the worst book I've ever read was also in second person, but that was 45 minutes of literally nothingness. That I I read the entire thing just so I could write a scathing review with a clear conscience. Ah, okay. But I still want that 45 minutes of my life back. <laughs> I know that feeling, but it, but it, I, I love how it points out that, you know, the book can be, you know, whether, you know, whether it's terrible for other people or not for you, it was a horrible experience, but you still took something away from it. And I think that's something that a lot of other authors don't realize. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was still, it was still effective and, and I'm, I'm happy that I, I took the time to read it and, and that it kind of, you know, maybe more mindful of that because, like I say, I, I used to do very seat of my pants stuff. It'd be like, eh, it feels like first person to me, and you know, I, I gotta, mm -hmm. I gotta work on uh, 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 a new novel I'm working on, and I actually started writing it in third person omniscient, and it just, it just wasn't clicking. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, okay, I need to take a step back here. You know, three paragraphs into it, and I realize this needs to be in first person. Um, I'm not quite sure I would have mm -hmm. made that leap. 
before. That that's very cool. I love I love actually hearing those stories of growth. So you mentioned you started a new novel. So you have quote unquote old novels out there. I do have old novels out there. Uh, I actually have two that are out in the wild right now. Um, they are uh, in my time hunt series. So I I, I typically write. Um, or the stuff I'm putting out right now is all time travel fiction. I like time travel and, uh, I like time travel, you know, where you get to like talk to your past self or your future self or yourself from five minutes ago. And so I wrote the series called time hunt and I've got two books out. So the first book is called time hunt borrowed time. And that released last year. And then the sequel to that, which is time hunt stolen time, was released uh, just this last July, so it's pretty fresh. Yeah, that's still that's still a newborn. It's still, it is. It still needs formula. <laughs> it does. Well, tell tell us tell us a little bit more about this series. Give us a little bit of a pitch so our uh, listeners can can you know see whether okay. or not they'd like to pick it up. Well, I, I envision this as um, the fugitive, uh, predominantly the um, the Harrison Ford movie. Uh, combined with Back to the Future. Okay. So the part, the plot starts off that our hero, a guy by the name of Ness, receives in the mail uh, a um, personal digital assistant, a PDA. This is set a few years back, back when such things were all in vogue. <laughs> and his, his friend and former college professor who used to teach him physics uh, and now works at a think tank, he modified this PDA to be a time machine. Because, <laughs> you know, you, just get a mail order time machine. It's fine. Sure, why not? <laughs> but the problem is the research firm, they want it back. Oh. And they're willing to do anything at all to, t- to, uh, to get it back. And so, and, and of course, they have nefarious reasons for wanting it back. And that begins the whole, the whole chase uh, epic of it. And um, with sexy results. Or hilarious, with sex- with <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe probably more toward the yeah I don't know probably more toward the sexy uh, th- than the hilarious. It's not like Keystone Cops or anything, but uh, uh, just so so where can uh, our listeners pick up the, these these fantastic novels? Well, these novels are exclusively on Amazon, so they're ebook or paperback on Amazon. Now, if you catch me in real life, I have copies with me. But uh, so get your nets out and catch Keith. That's right. You, you do have to. You have to, you have to chase me down. It's like a Pokemon. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, except, except you know, I, I don't really do Pokemon. But if there's like a catchphrase you can use to like make them pause, all you have to do is say, "I want to buy your book." I'll stop. I'll turn. <laughs> Um, so just out of curiosity, how long have you been working on this series? I mean, you've released two books in two years. Well, the funny thing is about this series is I wrote the first book. I actually wrote it on a PDA. That was kind of the, the impetus for using that <laughs> device. And then tells you how, how old um, the story was. I mm-hmm. finished that story in like 2008 um, the first one, uh, which mm-hmm. at that point was just called Borrow Time. Mm-hmm. And I podcast it. I released it on patiobooks.com back when really? it used to be a thing. Yeah. And then, um, and, and, I, and I've actually gotten like, I've got a lot of novels written. I, I've won NaNoWriMo six times. So I've got a nice. lot of novels sitting in, in, in digital format. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took some time off from writing because I went back to school for, for work. Uh, 
and got finished my uh, bachelor's. And I came back Congratulations. out. Congratulations. Thank you. I came back out and said, okay, I need to get back in, into the writing thing once I got done with that. And what I decided to do was to, to um, was you know to get back into this series and kind of refresh it a bit. And so I totally rewrote the first book because I felt like it was kind of the first novel. It was certainly my first long-form fiction. And I said, you know, I really need to make this better. So I totally you know, rewrote it from scratch. Um, and then and then the other ones have been more recent. So I haven't had to do that. And so then I came up with the well, – I didn't really like my, my series name. So I came up with the Time Hunt name and have been re-releasing them. So the, the two books that are out now um, – were, were, were had actually been released before under just their, their subtitles being borrowed time and stolen time. But I've got a third book in the series that I'm editing now that uh, human eyes, most human eyes, have not seen. Ooh. Yes. That's very fancy. Any idea on a, and I'm putting you on the spot, any idea on an ETA or are you planning on that for 2020? I am planning on that for 2020. What I'm really kind of hoping for is... And I really got to get my buttocks moving if I'm going to make this. But um, my new novel I talked about, I have to have that done by Balticon. I, I got uh, um, challenged by somebody Uh-oh. that uh, who shall remain nameless, Scott Roche, um, <laughs> to to write. That was something. a very strange cough you just had. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so I want to I want to be able to get that out by mm-hmm. Balticon. And I actually would like to get the third book, which is called uh, Time Hunt Wayward Time, out at the same time and maybe do like a double release party there. Ooh, that'd be fancy as hell. That would be fancy as hell. So so you so you mentioned that you've uh, done NaNoWriMo. You've won six times. Have, have, mm-hmm. have you won every time you've done NaNoWriMo or are there some uh, not no, I've wins act- in there? I've actually won it every time I've done it. Well, Donna, are you planning on doing it again for 2019? I'm actually not because I actually, you know, I, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the, the fast pace of it and kind of the crowd support or the, the social support that that that, um, that event has around it. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to to create better first drafts so that mm-hmm. the editing process, which I absolutely abhor, uh, goes faster. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to concentrate on not necessarily – going for the big word count but to try to craft it a little better the first time around see that's exactly the same thing that i've done i'm a five-time winner but i've had at least two double wins and one nearly triple win oh wow yeah (laughs) because i mean because when i can sit and write i can whip out a lot of words but like you said they may not necessarily be the quality Mm -hmm. that you're looking for so i i do think that um i mean i haven't done anarimo since 2014 that's how long ago I've been I, I've been not doing it. Yeah, that's probably about but, when I stopped too. But the thing is, and and there's nothing wrong with the people that you know have done it, you know, sixteen, seventeen times or whatever. There are a, a lot of things to learn from doing NaNoWriMo. Just going start to finish on something is a huge feat. Yes, it is. It is, and, and that's always one of the things I, I you know, it, it, you know. I, I have like two pieces of advice for newbie writers and always in the back of my head. And number one is mm-hmm. find a way to finish mm-hmm. whatever the heck it is you're doing. Yes. Um, because, you know, that was my thing. You know, I never, 
I've never done long form fiction because you always, you know, you always have the traditional, you should do short stories until you're really good at those and then start doing a novel. And mm-hmm. I started working on borrowed time and it became very clear to me that this is not a short story. And I just, I just kept, I mean, I basically, I, I mean, most of the writing of that, of the first time I did it was done in Taco Bell at lunch break. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Starla Hutchton takes her phone into the bathroom and writes, you know, a sense or two while she's in the bathroom. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. I don't yeah, do that. I need, but. I need to do that more, honestly. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> but no, it, it's it's totally valid. Just all those little ways that you can find to write. Now, you said you have two pieces of advice for new writers. What's the second one? The second one is actually to go with what feels good. Can I talk about that whole, you, you, you should, you know, do short stories before you do a novel or whatever. Um, you know, about the time I decided that, you know, long form is better for me. I also realized that actually I'd known for quite a while, but I don't really like reading short form fiction much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty rare that it's pretty rare that I will, um, pick up an anthology to read. It's mm-hmm. doubly rare that I will write a short story. And I wrote like three last year, I think. Oh, because we're, they will, we're here at the podcast are flattered. <laughs> I, well, I know because you, you guys got one and I wrote one for the Scatori mm-hmm. contest at Balticon. And then, well, I, I'm writing some for my, for my newsletters. So, so, mm-hmm. um, and like, and that's the only one I've written this year is I'm writing a new one. Uh, from a newsletter, I, I did a, a story by survey. I put together a survey with some random elements of character elements, and I had my newsletter subscribers say, "All right, what do you want?" And they voted, mm-hmm. and then I said, "Give yeah. me a ran- random element." So I'm writing them a story based on that. Cool. Do, do you? I mean, like, is is that sort of uh, experimental fan driven fiction something that you think you'll do again in the future? I think so. I mean, I, I've got the story 80% done mm-hmm. and it was, yeah, I, I find that an interesting challenge to, to, to say, okay, here's some, here's some, uh, elements that you need to have and mm-hmm. y- you got to meet it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was the thing about the Scatori contest. You know, people probably haven't heard about that. They really haven't announced the results other than announced results, I haven't shared the stories yet, but, but that was where we had to include a particular word and we had to have a particular phrase in there. It's like, okay, so how does that work? How do you make a story around that? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then like this one, it had a major character and a minor character and it, with traits for them, this so the story I've written. Um, and so I really had to think about, okay, what's the setting? And then, and then how am I going to work out the fact that I've got Bob Ross painting with space? <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's an interesting challenge. Inter- mm-hmm. Interesting. And it gets my, cause I can find like the stories I've written for the podcast. Um, you know, I kind of get, well, you asked me for the one for Balticon mm-hmm. and I was just like, Oh, story, story, story. And actually you probably gave me not only a story, but the start of book four for time hunt. Really? Yeah. Because, uh, well, ha- well, because, um, I wrote that I, it was actually going to be the main characters from time hunt. Mm-hmm. But what became very clear to me was a, it was a heck of a lot longer than the word count you gave me. <laughs> and B it was, it was, 
the wrong place in the in the timeline from for mm-hmm. what I have released. Right. I didn't have stolen time out yet. Um, and actually, I think in the timing, it should be probably after the third book. And I was just like, you know what? That can't, I don't, can't, I don't really want to release a short story that's set two books ahead of the canon that's out there today. Yeah. So what I ended up doing is I took that and I said, okay, I'm saving you. And then I changed that story to be <laughs> other characters, you know? And so so the, it, it was like the first half of that was almost mm-hmm. completely uh, the same with just some minor name changes and a couple other things. Uh, and then, that's very cool. And then the back half, I had to say, I said, okay, so this isn't, this isn't a, a nest story. So now what do I do? <laughs> that's very cool though. That's, that's a, that's a fun little fact. I mean, you'll be able to, you know, 10 years from now when you're big famous JK Rowling replacement, you can say, yeah, well, this story was originally kind of a bastardized version released on this podcast that's still been going for 10 more years. Uh, that's totally not going to happen. That's right. <laughs> actually, I, actually, who knows? <laughs> I promise that when Oprah interviews me, I will mention the podcast. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's, it's, it's really striking because – we seem to have very similar kinds of tastes. I'm not so big on the short fiction either. Honestly, reading submissions is very difficult for me for the podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's, there's still so much value in doing things that are uncomfortable, like, you know, writing exercises or writing short form when you're not so big on short form. So, I'm, I'm I'm curious when you do undertake, you know, pointedly undertake a short fiction story, are you looking for like any sorts of particular goals to get out of it? Just craft wise. Like, I mean, are you like focusing on any one, like, I don't want to say failing, but weak point in your own writing or anything like that? Not generally. Uh, you could really, a lot of the writing I've been doing for short fiction lately and be, you know, before last year, I probably hadn't written a short story in you know a couple three years. Um, mm. So so, and so much of the short fiction I've been writing has been it's been kind of that here you here's here's a set of criteria you have to meet it. Um, mm. That uh, now 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 the one thing that was that was interesting for me for the for the. The second story at Balticon, the the one for the Scatori contest, is I wanted that to be funny, mm-hmm. and I thought I had a pretty good feel for what uh, would be funny with that crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I I've, I have written some humor before, but not not um, you know most of it's unreleased. I mean, my 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 um, my newsletter. Um, my newsletter uh, audience gets to see some of it um, that that I have out there. I actually have a whole series um, of of humor that's based on my stuff that's happened to me in my working life. Um, but <laughs> but you know that story Balticon was like the first time to a bigger audience that I've shared something that I thought was going to be funny, and it actually did turn out to be funny. So. Yeah, so yeah, unfortunately I wasn't able to be at that that particular panel, but I, I, I heard good things. Yeah, yeah. It it succeeded beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> so okay, so there's definitely a third book. 
to mm-hmm. the Time Hunt series. Yes. And apparently a, a fourth one's going to be, is that going to be it? Or are we looking at a longer series here? Uh, it could potentially be a longer series. Yeah, that's one of those things I continually go back and forth on. Because um, I kind of hate it when somebody has got a series that I enjoy. And they go, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm tired of writing that series. I want to go write this. And I'm like, well, you're making money off of this series, and I love this series, so you should work on that until you die. (laughs) But at the same time, I've got, in the can, finish minus editing, I've got a young adult novel. Mm -hmm. I've got a thriller that is about how you take an all-American girl from the Midwest and turn her into an assassin. Fun. I've got a uh, kind of a police procedural thriller that's about a serial killer, a, a ring, basically a ring of serial killers where they got different people do different serial killings, but yet there are things that tie them together and none of the serial killers know each other. Um, Ooh. Yeah. And, and I've got, I got something else. There's, there's like two or three other ones. And so I keep going back and forth on this idea of, do I just keep plugging away on time hunt or do I just to keep the series going? And, and cause there's, a, there's, a, there's, I don't know if you ever heard of the concept of the long tail. But, the, you know, so the concept of the long tail is, is if you've got, you know, one book, it's got a certain amount of life and then it's, it's pretty much just going to sit there and be fallow. But if I release the second book, people are going to notice the second book and then they might buy the first and second book. Mm-hmm. And then if I release the third book, new people may notice the third book and then buy the previous book so they can get up to the third book. It's something about the third book. And so then as you add. Right more and more and more and more and more, um, you get this longer tail where if somebody finds, you know, book six and they go, wow, this looks like great stuff, but it's the sixth book. Well, Hey, you can buy one through five and, and do all that. And so mm-hmm. there's that whole thought processes. And then there's the other thought processes. I want to do something different, you know? Um, yeah. So I yeah, I don't know. I keep going back and forth on that. It's, it's like, you know, should I keep releasing these things? Trouble is, if I release them, I'm going to want to keep up with them because I'm really bad at writing one-off novels. I always have at least mm-hmm. a couple in mind, if not more. Like Time Hunt, I could see potentially being a never-ending series-ish. Um I've got another mm-hmm. one that I wrote. There's actually another one that's on patio books that I actually would like to totally restructure and take the one book that's there and turn it into two and then have two sequels for those and basically have a four book thing. I don't know if I'll oh, ever wow. get to that. Uh, I would like to, mm-hmm. I've, I've written some notes, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'll ever get to that. The, the young woman assassin story. I see that as being a trilogy. I'm not quite sure how good a legs it has beyond that. So, yeah, I'm kind of bad at single single book stories, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's definitely one of the uh, issues with the craft is there's always more 
plot holes and potholes you can fall down. Right. Well, uh, and then I think there's the, you know, kind of the El Dorado for writers is that I'm going to release one book and that's going to take off. That's going to be the next Aragon. That's going to be the next Harry Potter. And then I'll know that's a series I should be devoting my time to. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a bit of fool's gold, I'm guessing. Especially especially being in the um in the self-published space. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh, that is the dream though. It is the dream. <laughs> Did you just hit your mic? I was, yeah, with my, I have a cup of water here and I was like, I hit my, my pop filter with it. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I wanged mine a minute ago. <laughs> I'm sure you probably heard it. I did. <laughs> All right. So um, we do try to keep these fairly short. We've been going for about 25 minutes at this point. So as before we, you know, we, we try to close things out. Is there anything else that you have on your mind that you'd like to discuss with me and the listeners? Uh, well, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I would really like to invite anybody that's interested in my work and what I'm doing to um, to subscribe to my newsletter. It comes out once a month. Uh, I share fiction on there. I share, uh, I've had some panels from Balticon on there. Um, whatever, you know, what, whatever new stuff I can come up with. You know, like I did the story by survey as, as a way of trying to do something interesting and engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get installments of this humor, um, of this humor series I have that's called I Grew Up on a Cubicle Farm. <laughs> that's, a, that's about my 35 years of uh, life as an IT professional. And, uh, and, and so I've written uh, humorous stories, or I hope they're humorous stories, about some of the weird things that have happened or that I've seen or heard about uh, over the course of that 35 years. And so I've released, they, they've seen a number of those. I actually have a couple more to, to release, and I've actually got one or two more of those I'd like to write. Oh boy! Um, at some point, I'd like you know that's another one. At some point, I'd like to release that as they're not there's it's it's that one's a bit of a yeah you know, a big inspiration for that series was, is like Irma Bombeck. So you kind of <clears> get <throat> chapters that are standalone in that they're telling a p- specific narrative, but at the same <clears throat> time, it's always the same cast, right? And 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 so it's not quite a novel, but it's not quite an anthology. It's kind of something in in the middle. Vignettes. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. Oh, that's a good. That's a good good description. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, vignettes. Absolutely. So at some point, I want to release that too. But uh, but for now, I'm just using it to to entertain my my news my newsletter crowd. So, but uh, yeah, people want to. Want to uh, sign up for that? I think there's enough there to uh, keep you entertained for at least a few min- minutes every month. So where can they sign up for that newsletter? I thought you'd never ask. They can go to my website, which is penslinger.com. Just think gunslinger and remove the gun and put a pen in his, in his hand instead. Uh, ding. And, ding. And right there on the homepage at the top, you can just type in your email address and you're in and you'll get the next month's uh, next month's installment when it comes out or that month's installment, depending upon when you do it. And again, for our listeners, uh, your books are available on Amazon. Yes. And that's uh, Time Hunt. Time Hunt. Borrowed Time is the first one. 
and Time Hunt, Stolen Time is the second one. If you want to look for them on Amazon, the best way to search for them is um, to, to uh, put the word Time Hunt. It's, it's all one word, so there's no space. But put that in quotes because Amazon sees that as two words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so if you put Time Hunt quotes and then put my last name, Hughes, um, you'll find my stuff. Ding. I've also got, uh, I guess, let me give a plug for this. I've also got a story in, a, in an anthology just, just recently got released. This is the third story. I knew I couldn't think of one called Paradise Found Tales from the Library. Uh, and this was an anthology that, that Val Ford put together. And it was, it's a, a charity anthology where all the proceeds go to help out our good friend Scott Pond known as Pondy, mm-hmm. with his um, bills from his cancer fight of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have a short story in that, and my wife has one, and lots of other great people have, have stories in there as well. Ding. Ding. And that's also on Amazon, and I believe yes. also an ebook and paperback. Yeah, so go get all of those things. Please do. All right, Keith, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure being on the podcast. <gasps> oh, there's like just so much pleasure around here right now. It's indecent. <laughs> I don't know that I'd phrase it. That, that's kind of one of those. That's what she said. See, that, this is what happens when Aaron's not around. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Bad but uh, we, def- we definitely hope no pressure to have more of your words on uh, on the podcast and more of your voice. Um, but in the meantime, everybody, go check out all of Keith Hughes' stuff. That's H-U-G-H-E-S, because he has one of those unnecessary European vowels. <laughs> well, I like to say I spelled just like Howard Hughes, but without the money. <laughs> so the S isn't a dollar sign. For him, yes. For me, it's more like <laughs> one of those cent signs, but it just looks strange. <laughs> All right, but yeah, go check out all of Keith Hughes' stuff and uh, stay tuned for more content on The Melting Podcast. Okay, have we had enough meal for this time? I mean, now that the... This bib is really messy. That's because you had ribs. Ooh, everybody has ribs. Anyway, so guys... Finish and your girls. ribs. The guys and girls, finish your ribs. And anything in between. That's me. Hi. Hey. So. We're inclusive. Yeah. And oh. you're still short. <laughs> Leave my height out of this. No. So finish your ribs. And then once you've done that and use that lemon scented wet nap that appeared out of nowhere <laughs> to clean your fingers so that you don't get barbecue sauce all over your keyboard and mouse, go to iTunes. There you can search for The Melting Podcast. There's actually a few of them now, which is really weird to me, but we're the original and we're the good one. Yeah, there are a few other, there are some other melting podcasts out right now. Or I think a lot of them are more like the Melting Pot podcast, Uh. but they're not anything like what we do. I've seen a couple others listed. It's really weird. But yeah, so. We did it first. Yeah. So search for the Melting Podcast. Find the one that's been around for five years. That's actually us. And give it all the stars. And give it so many stars, guys. Like chicken and stars. Give us soup. But I'm not hungry. I mean, did you just have ribs? I know, right? Yeah. It was a meaty story. So throw chicken and stars at your computer monitor. Or, or don't. Or go to iTunes in real life and throw a can of soup at them. 
The Melting Podcast cannot be held liable for any damages caused to your computer from throwing chicken and stars soup at it. Or any other soup. <laughs> just, just clarifying that. We, yeah. We cannot be held legally responsible. No. This is not fine print. No. <laughs> this is a bold, highlighted disclaimer. No, after you're done. Don't do what Gus says. Unless it's what I also say, which is give us all the stars. No, once you're done throwing soup at things and people. No! Stars! <laughs> once you're done throwing pasta stars at things no! and people. Actual then you, iTunes then stars. Go, 70 of them. Then go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash the melting podcast. Now, our... you're, you're going there via internet. You're not physically going to these places. And throwing soup at them. Yeah, that would be, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting this mental image of Keith doing that now because we just had the interview with him. This image of Keith just with a can of soup, just opens it, looks at you, grins, and just sloshes it in your face. Yeah. Anyway. It's okay because Jelaine gives me spoons. Uh Uh-huh. Spoons. Dot com slash the melting podcast. That's, you already said that. Yeah, I'm saying it again because it's a long URL. That is our swag shop. You can find it, you know, a link to it right on our website. But we have new swag on there, guys. New art. We've it's got awesome. we've got a dog bandana with butts on trees. Butts on trees. We've got um, mugs with our new logo on there. The new one, the fancy one. We got stuff with our old logo on there because which is adorable because it was really great and we love it. It was just time for something new. Yeah. And we've got the... The do, leftovers went bad. We've yeah. got do the, the do the Hoogan shirt. Uh, find your hands. <laughs> find your hands. Find your feet. Find your feet. Do, do the, the Hoogan. So we've got that. We've got other meme wear because this is us. So go there. We're get, like walking memes. Get yourself an apron that says Lexus Connoisseur. Get a backpack that says Ask Me About the Disaster Kitchen. All kinds of fun stuff you can find there. And all the proceeds for that just go right back into improving the podcast to make it better for you. Now, if they don't have the money to drop on, like, you know, a an apron, if they only have, like, a dollar or two a month that they can spare, what can they do with that? I have a dollar in one hand and a cookie in the other hand? Depends on how expensive the cookie was. I'm talking about going to Patreon patreon.com slash the melting podcast for as little as one dollar an episode so like two dollars a month you can support the podcast financially and you get all kinds of great benefits you get physical swag you know the longer you're a patron the better chance you have of getting a t-shirt i mean that's just for a dollar or two a month you get buttons you get bumper stickers you get shout outs you get episodes early Wink, wink. I'm serious. I've done them almost a week early. And you get access to our once a year Patreon backer only episode. Yeah, this year's is in progress and we are very close to being done with editing it. I'm working on the story. All the audio has been recorded. It's getting tacked together. And as soon as that's ready, guys... I love this story. I really think you're going to like this one. It's one of the It's one of the best ones we've done in a while. And only our patrons can hear it. Now, the thing is, if you become a patron, you have access to the back catalog of Patreon-only episodes. That's three Mm -hmm. other episodes that you'll have access to that only people that have supported the podcast financially can hear. It's special. Yeah. Now, if you don't have any money at all, which we get, this economy sucks, you can always just 
do a nice free share on social media or just write a post on social media. Do it on... Or just like or comment on some of our posts on Twitter, Facebook, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, link us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit. Shoot. If you want to put it as one of your interests on, like, Tinder or something, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which one Which one do we want them to do? Swipe right or swipe left on the podcast? I don't know. I've don't, never used it. Me neither. I'm married. Thumbs up on, on us. I, I was married before Tinder was a thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just perpetually single anyway. Aww. So, yeah. Anyway. That. Or. Also. And or. I'm going to just say a lot of I like how there here. are like slashes involved yeah. in that. Yes. I'm very literary. Um. This, this is how you use an English degree, folks. Um, <laughs> you can send us stuff. Like flash fiction. Which is awesome. Yeah. Our Stoke the Fire stories need to be 1,500 words or fewer based on one of our current open prompts. Now, we have had people send us some that included other prompts from the past that are now closed, but it still has to include at least one of the current ones. Mm-hmm. Now, prompt 20 is now closed. Bye-bye. Oh, it said goodbye back. I'm scared. Was that the ghost? I think that was the ghost of Prompt 20. Bye. Scared. Can't talk. So we'll be revealing Prompt number 22 very shortly, but Prompt number 21 is you found a star that actually grants wishes. We've gotten a couple submissions for that one, and wow, guys, they're really cool stuff. And our new prompt, prompt number 22. And this one was given to us by T. Morris himself. The T. Monster. Yes. You're stuck in traffic, and the person next to you tells you to roll down your window. That one can be a lot of fun. I'm curious. You could go anywhere with that. Yeah. Again, 1,500 words or fewer. One of those two open prompts has to be involved, but you're welcome to go into our back prompts and add anything extra you want to do in there. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. You can also send us a main ingredient story, which is 5,000 words or fewer, which doesn't have to involve any prompts. I mean, it can if you want it to, but it can be on any topic. Safe for work preferred. Yes. We do try to keep things pretty PG. Yeah. We, we've jumped up to PG-13. And we've jumped up to rated R, but it doesn't... It's rare. It's it's rare, which is what the R stands for, right? No. That's not how I understand things. When people tell you no? Yes. You have problems comprehending when people tell you no? I don't understand. You're such a Leo. <laughs> is this, wait, this is you telling them my, my uh, zodiac sign so that they know if they want to date me. You're not Tinder. No, I'm Grinder. Quack, quack. Send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to the Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us. The Melting Podcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. 
Santa stuff. <laughs>